Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Cup Reviews, brought to you by Cup of Hemlock Theater. I am your marketing manager and host, Mackenzie, and tonight we have a really fantastic episode set up for you. We're going to be talking about the 2019 production of A Fellow, directed by Nigel Sean Williams, and it had an incredible cast behind it. Included uh, Michael Blake, who we've seen several times on this series so far, including as Macduff in the Scottish play. As uh, uh, as a fellow, you had Laura Condolan, uh, who we talked about last episode in her 2011 production of Mary Wise, but this time she's playing the role of Amelia. You have Amelia uh, Sangerson playing Desdemona. Gordon S. Miller as Iago. You have Jonathan uh, Sousa as Cassio. Uh, Juan Kiorn as Levitico. Uh, you have Farhan uh, Gaher as Rodrigo. And we have the wonderful David Collins as Senator. And we have David coming back to us for another week. So welcome back, David, for your second episode of The Cup. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you. Thank you. And what is in your cup tonight? I mean, last time you had a great heart Bartoff. That you were mm. drinking. What is it tonight? Well, tonight the senator's having some herbal tea. It's, uh, ah. Yeah, he's going to chill out a little today. Love it. Love nice. That. <laughs> Love that. That's, that. That seems like a very nice, like, political ease drink because you were very much the calming presence in, the, in, in those political scenes that we saw at the top of the show. So it is a perfect yeah. fit. Uh, and we are joined once again by our lovely uh, friend of the company, Tanisha. Uh, uh, Sinclair. Hello, Tanisha. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. This is a great production. I'm excited to talk about it. Yes. Uh, and this is, how many episodes have you, have you done now? You were on Hamlet with us. You did Anthony Cleopatra. I think this is my third. This Thanks. is your third. So, so hat trick. You, you've got a hat trick now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what is in your cup tonight? I have some lovely mango juice in my Ooh. little gauntlet thing. <laughs> nice. Very, very nice. I like that. Not a lot of people drink mango juice. It's always like orange juice or apple juice. Nobody does mango oh, juice. I feel mango juice is very underrated. Best juice. So underrated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then we have our wonderful general assistant of Cup of Hemlock. She keeps us all on track here. Uh, it is the wonderful... Uh, Jillian Robinson, who is also an aunt again. So congratulations, Yay. Jill. We should mark this episode as, as uh, the day where you were able to welcome another member of your family into the world. So congratulations yes. and thank welcome. Thank you so much, Mac. I hope you're doing well tonight as well. Oh, I am. Thank you. Awesome. What is your ensemble and what is in your cup tonight? Yes. So in my cup tonight, because the two vice drink vices present in this production were either wine or beer, and I've Mm -hmm. already done wine a couple times in this panel, I have yet to do beer. So I got myself a nice little pitcher of beer going. (laughs) Specifically, it is a land shark because of Mm -hmm. the sharky backstabby vibes that we have that is Iago and Othello Mm -hmm. um and as for my ensemble I couldn't find anything with strawberries on it so I thought pineapples would suffice yes um and then I am earringless tonight and I have a bit of a slick back look to um Stand in solidarity with the female soldiers that were um, Mm. wonderfully represented in this piece so That is my vibe for tonight. I love it. A wonderful layered look you you have. It's it's perfect. 
Awesome. Uh, but why don't we uh, dive right into this wonderful uh, uh, production? I mean, as we said, it's the 2019 production of Othello. It's found on the Cineplex store because we've now finished with the YouTube. Actually, as of Thursday, Timing of the Shrew came down on YouTube. So now it is not available there, but you can purchase them all on the website, the Sharper Festival website. Uh, but you can find Othello and Mary watched them last week on the Cineplex store. So we're kind of into a new area of this uh, virtual world. Uh, and so, yeah, but yeah, well, let's talk Othello. So uh, the first question right off the bat is, how did this modern setting of this particular Othello production uh, affect the way you viewed, or in David, your case, the way you played uh, these characters? Uh, so, David, because you were in this uh, production, and I don't know if you've done Othello before this, like, I, I, I'm not sure if you were in the 2013 production with Dion Johnson as well. Um, but like, how did this production setting kind of inform the way you tackled your role as the senator? Okay. Um, well, as you'll see uh, when you watch the uh, video, uh, the senator is there and then he disappeared for the rest mm -hmm. of the play. Mm -hmm. I always justified it as he went to his vineyard in Sardinia just to get away <laughs> from all of this stuff because he could see what was coming. Yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, certainly it, it makes things a lot easier for a modern actor to uh, play a, a, a powerful man in a powerful mm -hmm. suit. Yeah. I'm mm -hmm. not out there in a toga. Uh, I'm not out there in pumpkin pants. I'm in a suit and tie and, and good mm -hmm. shoes. As long as you're in good shoes, you know where you are. Um, <laughs> And uh, it certainly uh, brought focus to the uh, to the female characters uh, in the play, the female soldiers, and uh, and Amelia particularly mm -hmm. uh, in in this production, uh, which uh, which I really appreciated about the, about the show. And Laura, I'm absolutely knocked it out of the park every okay. single time. Um, mm -hmm. I would uh, I would be in the dressing room listening to her. In those last couple of scenes and oh, so much truth uh, so mm -hmm. grounded uh, mm -hmm. and every time it was new it, it was like she'd never said it before these she was so in the moment uh, yeah and it was new every single time you know, mm -hmm. she's, uh, she's an amazing amazing actor and I was yeah. so glad uh, she got a chance to really showcase herself mm -hmm. in this extremely problematic play mm -hmm. um, particularly it just got even more complicated in the last couple of months mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because uh, it all depends on who's watching it mm -hmm. is going is going to determine uh, what kind of play it is mm -hmm. uh, for me I'll tell you um, a couple of days before we opened we were on stage and uh, they were rehearsing the, um, the murder scene the murder scene of uh, Desdemona, and I happened to be in the house, and uh, and uh, you know it was the lights were coming down, and they wanted to, to do it, do the scene, and I wound up sitting about four rows back from the from the front seat, so it was right there. I mean, I could have uh, taken a piece of paper and thrown it. It was right at the corner of the bed. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking. It it was ten, twelve feet away from me. And I, my, I, my body absolutely freaked out. 
sitting that close to something so incredibly horrifically violent. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I was imagining somebody that wasn't prepared. I, I knew the fight scene was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, imagining somebody who's coming to the show, never seen the show before, and is going to be sitting 10 feet away and witnessing that scene. Mm -hmm. Abs absolutely mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. um, I have to admit, I've had a, a long, complicated relationship with the play. Uh, I've never played the, the whole uh, role. Um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I used to do the, uh, the scene um, that, uh, with Amelia and Desdemona when Othello uh, tells Desdemona get, to get lost and then basically attacks and uh, accusing uh, Desdemona of, of mm -hmm. uh, infidelity. And we did that in the high schools. And uh, it became a discussion about uh, abuse against women, uh, mm -hmm. uh, male aggression. Uh, 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 <laughs> we were doing, I remember we did it. We did it the week that Mark Lapine shot up uh, at school in Montreal. Mm. Oh, Polytech, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that was the level the kids took it on. Uh, race isn't mentioned at all. This is a couple. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously in a lot of trouble. And that's what they were witnessing and that's what they related to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it, the language didn't matter. Mm -hmm. They understood what was going on between this man and this woman. Mm -hmm. uh, and they understood it on a, on a personal level. Mm -hmm. They saw it in their own lives. Mm -hmm. They saw it in their, sometimes in their, in their parents' homes, uh, sometimes in their own, in their own life. I remember one time we did it and a young lady uh, confessed that that's what, how her boyfriend was treating her. And uh, wouldn't you know, the next class, her boyfriend showed up into the class into, into the following class. And uh, what somebody pointed out to me that, uh, that this was a young man, a young, a young woman in the previous class had been referring to. So I made a point of asking him a lot of questions yeah. about what he thought about what was going on with him. Anyway, um, the play. Uh, you have to give... Uh, Mr. Shakespeare, a little bit of credit because it's an adaptation of a short story mm -hmm. uh, that was written by an Italian dude. Um, I don't know exactly when, but he had to stick the facts in the story and that's what he did. Uh, but what he also did was he jacked up the racism. He jacked up the rage uh, that daddy had against his, his, her, his daughter marrying this black man. Um, jacked up the rage um, of the uh, of the senators. Uh, not all the senators were all rah rah for this uh, for this union. In fact, Sean uh, directed me to be the one senator that was sort of in his corner uh, when when he brings all of this to the uh, to speak to the Duchess. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he disappears. So, not much of an ally, you know. <laughs> get, yeah. get, uh, but you get right down to it. It's, um, it's, um, it's a manifesto on why you cannot give black 
men power. You cannot allow them to marry white women. They're weak, they're malleable. And this is, this is the narrative of the play. Um, and it makes it even, brings it even more into focus when we're talking uh, Black Lives Matter and this whole period that we've been going through. Uh, it's part of the canon. It's uh, written by Shakespeare. It's done over and over and over again. Uh, <laughs> I was reading something today. Originally, this is a play written by a black man uh, to be performed by, excuse me, written about a black man by a white man to be performed by a white man in blackface. Mm -hmm. That was the original premise of the play. They weren't even thinking about black men playing Othello uh, when it was originally uh, written. Um, but we see it from a different point of view now, um, particularly now, than the audience would have seen it when it was written in the 1600s. This is uh, pre-transatlantic slave trade, uh, pre-civil rights movement, pre-apartheid in South Africa, pre-all of that stuff. So we look at it as a, as a, from a totally different lens. Um, I was even of the argument that it shouldn't be done anymore until today, actually. Um, I was uh, watching this video about a production that's going on in, uh, or was going on in England. <laughs> Excuse me, the RSC was doing it. And there was a black man playing Iago. And for me, that, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's compelling. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, a friend of mine, Andre Alexis, he's a novelist. He's, well, he used to write plays to, uh, he suggested it to me like 20 years ago. And it's like, you know, that's a really interesting point of view. Yeah. It's kind of sophisticated racial politics. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, a hell of a lot more compelling then let's sit and watch it. This, uh, this not very bright general of men, you know, that paradox uh, in the modern day army uh, to get one star, you have to have a master's degree. So every star you see on these dude's shoulders is a master's degree. These are not fools. These are not simple things. These are not easily manipulated men. Uh, but unfortunately, that's the narrative of this play. Yeah. Um, does it need to be done now? Yeah, but it needs to be ripped apart and put back together. If, mm -hmm. if you need to do the play. Agreed. You've got to come up with a really strong argument. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Other than, well, you know, it's, it's dealing with race. Yeah, it's dealing with race, but the same way that... Uh, Birth of a nation with dealing with race. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said. Uh, well, I mean, whew. Yeah. I, I, was, I was so well said, David. Like, well, I've also had an awful long time to think about this. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Because, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Othello has always been sort of out there and floating around. And, uh, mm -hmm. And the opportunity is, is uh, other than this uh, this experience in the in the school, uh, it never uh, never crossed my path until this year. And uh, even sitting in rehearsal, it was hmm, 
how how do how does Dave feel about this? Right. The overall big picture of life. Is this a play we need to be doing? Is this a play we need to be doing this way? Mm -hmm. um, uh, but what really made it work for me was was Laura Laura Collins performance and 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 Amelia Sargentin too who, uh, who Desdemona had balls yeah, yeah. Her Desdemona was not a, a weak frail little thing uh, right. she stood you know Michael's a, a foot taller than her and weighs her by 60 pounds and mm -hmm. she stood toe to toe with him and you yeah. know I thought that was that was cool it's cool to see that yeah um it was not cool to see that I couldn't Mm -hmm. After particularly after that that rehearsal, I said, "I'm good with that. I'm gonna. I'll be in the green room until that's over, and then I'll come and get ready." Because uh, yeah, that was so disturbing. Uh, mm -hmm. That uh, I knew that yeah. the fight directed a, a female directed that fight. Wow. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's good yeah. to know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Bertoli. Yeah. Anita Bertoli. That's her name. Mm -hmm. yeah. lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Tanisha, what are your thoughts on, on on this particular setting of this Othello? Like, how did that affect the way you viewed these characters of this play? Um, well, this is the first time I've actually ever encountered Othello. I've never mm -hmm. read it uh, or seen a production of it, so watching it, it was very interesting, especially in this sort of like uh, modern uh, production setting. I mm -hmm. thought, for me specifically, it helped me to clearly just see like what the themes were of the play, mm -hmm. and um, since they helped me to see like how there's a lot of things that weren't just uh, time specific. Like mm -hmm. I love how you, uh, David Hollister was talking about how like, yes, it was written in the 1600s in this very specific way. And I, uh, just, that made me think for a second, but at the same time I was like, there's a lot of things that are also like, uh, like he also said, true to this day that people can still relate to like the relationship, um, the toxic relationship, the, uh, even somebody being like easily manipulated. Um, mm -hmm. And it just helped me put it into like the perspective of, I guess, 2020, where, where we are now, and um, just relating the issues back to like, yeah, like Black Lives Matter. And, and just like, even, I, I thought a lot about the women's issues, like how the women were treated in this play, especially Desdemona. Um, but that's yeah that's that's where my mind went exactly to i was like okay this mm -hmm. is just this, this play is problematic but at the mm -hmm. same time relatable yeah mm -hmm. that makes any sense for sure yeah, yeah. absolutely so, mm -hmm. that's why we still do three four hundred years later because human experience you know? yeah mm -hmm. and i was also thinking a lot too like what you said about like um just like changing like I love how you said rip it up and put it back together because I was I was kind of thinking that like just changing the way it's done yeah like, this could totally be done with um a, a I was just thinking like not an all black cast but what if it was like mostly black and then you chose to like cast like what if Cassio was was actually white and then mm -hmm. it had a different conversation right. um, especially just now into like. It just made me think because you maybe like a decade or a few decades ago, it would there was some people had the idea where I was like, oh, if you were to marry a white man as a black woman, it would help you prosper because they have so much privilege. And um, like I feel like a lot of people today 
it, because of Black Lives Matter, it's almost like the reverse. It's like, no, black people need to marry black people and stick together. So there's just like, it, it unlocked a lot of things in my mind thinking about like how we could have different conversations about race because there's so much there to talk about. Mm -hmm. and, and also women's issues as well. It made me think of like, uh, are women still able to like voice their opinions as much as they want to in, in relationships? And like, how can they go about doing that without seeming like they're just this emotional, crazy person? How, how can like women's voices be validated in relationships mm -hmm. in today's society? Because it's still hard for men to talk about their own like feelings and stuff. So mm -hmm. I feel like maybe that's partly why it's hard for them to listen to it. I don't know. It just unlocked mm -hmm. all of these tangents in my mind. <laughs> yeah. How we could continue to do this play. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. To Jill. piggyback off that. Yeah. Um, it definitely, I think with this modern setting, um, one of the big notes I wrote down was there's definitely more agency available to all the women in the play, like especially in the realm of soldiers um, and especially like David literally said my exact note of, of Amelia. Um, you know, I've, I have seen, I saw the 2013 production and I do remember that take of Amelia. I mean, it can go either way. Like she can have hardly any agency and kind of fall just victim to Yago, which we'll get to mm -hmm. farther down the you line. Know. Or this piece really placed her in, in a position of power, um, even though she does falter at the end. And mm -hmm. um, it just allowed for that, like Tanisha was saying, like that female voice to, to not be squelched mm -hmm. as sometimes I find that that can happen with that character in particular. Um, and the, the solidarity of the female soldiers at the end of the piece was a really wonderful sort of tie up of all that. Um, and then I, I've mentioned this a lot with, with the pattern of, of the f depiction of the female in a lot of the um, productions we've hit on the Stratford series. And um, this production too really lend a great scope into the levels of, of femininity or levels of female um, that are present and, and, and how, you know, you, you can have this, the sweeter side of the female, you can have the feistier side, you can have, um, you know, the, the mm -hmm. submissive, but yet you can have the, um, the like sneaky sidekick. It just, it just added for more broad breadth of, of the female identity. Um, and each woman on that stage to me, like had a mixture of all those things, which was really lovely to see. Um, and I think the modern setting really helped to kind of cushion that and, and encourage that. And then similar to kind of what David was saying too, like the specific costumes really helped emphasize the different status of, mm. of folks on the stage, you know, whether it be like, your rank in the army or, you know, if you're in a suit versus your uniform and like that whole dialogue came into play, you know, like mm -hmm. who has the upper hand in these kind of scenes, you know, it kind of made you think and open up tangents like Tanisha mm -hmm. was saying. Um, and the idea of violence too, kind of like David, I had goosebumps through all of the fight choreo in this piece um, because it was so raw and I couldn't imagine, like, I mean, we, we were seeing it through a lens and, and, you know, up front, but I, at least there was the cushion of a screen, like what David was saying. I can't imagine sitting front or even in that, in the theater. Um, Cause I also think 
two, there's layers in like the hitting of women and also the idea of war um, and substance abuse and that whole dialogue came into play mm -hmm. too, right? It actually reminded me of, I don't know if you folks have seen the movie, Thank You for Your Service, mm -hmm. um, about a bunch of vets come back from um, the Iraq war and it just kind of follows their life post-war and how their relationships are severely affected by mm -hmm. PTSD, substance abuse, etc. And um, so those layers were definitely woven into this piece for me too. Um, that again brings relevance to to this piece. That I think if it was set in a an era beyond uh, mm -hmm. sort of like semi present day, it wouldn't necessarily ring as true. Um, and then even just simply the idea that there was multiple different weapons because we're living in a modern age, right? It's like you have the ability of a gun or like a dagger or like a Swiss army knife, it, it, it just added that element of suspense and like disbelief and so many different things were happening. The stakes were just a bit higher, I think with this modern setting. Um, and like we've already kind of chatted about, I would love to unpack this even more and explore it with even more stepping stones that have already um, presented themselves. Cause yeah, this, I think this piece sort of stretched out can can hit on a lot of topical um, mm -hmm. things happening right now and mm -hmm. yeah that's that was my set on on that <laughs> wonderful uh, I'll say for me I mean what this modern setting did more than anything was it made me question the world and the characters that a fellow interacts with. Like, a lot of times when I, I, watching older productions of Othello, like, Othello is usually the only actor of um, color in the production. Everybody else is usually, it's all usually just a sea of white. But the fact that we had all these wonderful different people, uh, uh, like, David, you were playing the senator. We had, um, I forget her name, but she played uh, Bianca um, mm -hmm. uh, in this, where we had different people of different races, different colors, making yeah. up this world. And so because of that, it made me just question, especially, it made me question the white the white the white characters even more where where the whole time you're like are you really genuine and supporting of a fellow in, in this in these moments because like Juan Caron's character as uh, this kind of lordly figure he like he's very much like I've heard so much about you like you seem so lovely like um the duchess was once again like she had some lovely moments there on stage um but then you like you're always questioning because it's like are you actually like more like Iago and um Desdemona's father uh barbantino where it's like when push comes to shove that false mask that you wear in front of society where you're all pc and friendly to the world but really underneath you have that awful underbelly of really racism and hatred marry my daughter yeah 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 exactly like, I, 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 when push comes to shove that mask comes off and it's something that we're confronting now in the world with with, every, with everybody in society especially our politicians and our leaders and these people of power where it's like are you actually someone who is an ally and supportive of uh, of minorities and people of different races and different cultures, or are you just putting up this fake yeah. facade that the minute push comes to shove, you're going the other way? So mm -hmm. the whole time I was watching this, I was like, I don't trust a lot of these white characters, like I, 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 especially people of power, where it's like mm -hmm. I just I could I couldn't trust them. Like I just didn't know where they were gonna fall, mm -hmm. and I thought that was really interesting view because i think if you just did pumpkin pants where it was just othello as the other and you can separate him out very easily from that world and everybody's kind of othering him 
But when you have this world that's uh, mixed and integrated and appears as a facade of we're all welcoming, we're all getting along, we're all going out partying together, but really what is going on Mm -hmm. behind your social masks, as it were. So, yeah, the whole time I was watching, I just felt really compelled to question all these characters. And I thought that uh, Natural Sean Williams did a really wonderful job of creating this world that the, the whole time you never got bored because you were always questioning and thinking of what's going on like uh, uh, behind your uh, facades that we all put up in the world. Mm-hmm. John understands the way the world operates. He's a black man. Yeah. Trying to be a, a theater artist in this world. And, and yeah. that is the experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. Are you really on my side? Do you really support me? And what would happen if I came home and started dating your daughter? Yeah. That's exactly that, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and can I really trust you? Uh, yeah. That, that, that becomes your job. As a as an artist, a theater artist of color, that becomes your job. First of all, you got to figure out who you can trust and who you can't trust. And secondly, you realize very soon that you're living, you're in a world where most of these people have had very little, if any, contact with black people. In a lot of cases, you're the first one they've ever really met and sat down and talked to. Um, and it becomes your job to make them feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you realize that, the easier things get. Mm-hmm. Why is it so tense around you? It's not because you're tense, it's because they're tense. Yeah. And you gotta turn it around. Mm-hmm. And once you do, then everybody figures out how to relax. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a skill that you have to learn to mm-hmm. navigate. Mm-hmm. when you are the other yeah. right mm-hmm. whether like that's the- high school whether that's college whether that's mm-hmm. working world mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely i i i don't know how i i just david you're just hitting so many nails on the head right now like i just, yeah. I just can't piggyback on because there's just because you just hit it so well like well you're, you're, again, i have a lot more time to think about this yeah <laughs> absolutely you know, uh, uh, i've been doing this longer than most of you have been alive all of you have been alive but <laughs> that's true here yeah right. so yeah uh i very early on this is what i wanted to do and i had to figure out a way to do it uh, when there was no path, there wasn't anybody in front of me saying, oh yeah, come on, I'll, I'll mentor you through this. But I think that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, all the, all there was was, uh, you know, sort of peaks I wanted to, uh, to reach. Mm-hmm. And while I'm saying that, I just want to mention, um, today, um, uh, one of the, the best actor this country ever produced uh, uh, passed away a couple of days ago, Brent Carver. Brent Carver. Yes. Uh, yes. I saw Brent Carver when I was 17, 18, and I knew I wanted to kind of be an actor, but I didn't quite know what this, you know, is this just a dog and pony show? Am I, are these people just running around the stage showing off because they, they didn't get enough attention as a child? And then I saw Brent Carver and I went, oh, that's what this is all about. Yeah. I want to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. I thought the bar was here. 
and Brent showed me it's right. That's how far you can go with it. Yes, mm-hmm. you can be the dog and pony actor, or you can be extraordinary. Yep. Yeah. And I went, yeah, extraordinary. And every time I saw him, he destroyed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, Elephant Man at Ken Stage in the mm-hmm. early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Him basically wearing a diaper, doing the just doing the physicality of, of the Elephant Man, and his Jacques Brel. Mm-hmm. I cried from the first note to the last, mm-hmm. and I didn't even know where the tears were coming from. It was just so beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, I just wanted to, to say that. No. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I, 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 absolutely. I mean, like. My dad still talks about Brent Carver. He goes behind Topol. He was the best Tevia he'd ever yeah. seen on stage. And, and like when I told him yesterday, like he, like he even he as just a general theater audience goer mm-hmm. realized the loss of Brent and just the power that he had mm-hmm. uh, on stage. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he is definitely somebody who will be missed um, mm-hmm. for sure. And yeah, well said, David. Well said. Interesting that you know it, it, his life was on stage. It wasn't mm-hmm. about. That's not what, uh, what 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 drew him. Yeah. Fame wasn't what he was interested in. He was yeah. interested in being a theater artist. And went, mm-hmm. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a way to look at it. That's another way. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I was young. I was ambitious. You know, sure, I want to be on a soap opera. I want to be famous. I want to be on ET Tonight. Da 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 da. And you very sort of quickly figure out that that's. Mm-hmm. Less than vacuous, mm-hmm. because uh, whoever is the it person today, check with me in two years from now. Yeah, so gone, and somebody else is there. Yeah, you know, right. uh, trying to achieve fame is what drives people. Keeping it, trying to keep it, is what mm-hmm. ultimately tears them apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Ab- Let's talk about Elvis. Let's talk about Michael Jackson. Let's talk about Prince. Let's talk about Amy Winehouse. The list it just goes on and on and on. You know? So uh, you want to sustain yourself. Be an artist. And let the rest of it do whatever it wants to do. You know? As name comes, it goes. You know? Just want to work. Just want to do it. You know? And do it like Mr. Carter did. Yes. You take your heart and transform you. You don't mm-hmm. need that space the same person you were when you walked into. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, and that's the kind of power you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone get out your notebooks and write down the words of wise coming from David Collins. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like, so true. So, so true. Um, all right. But why don't we dive into the next question? Yes. Uh, which is kind of a neat one because... Uh, this set um, was very minimal, and it uh, used projections, which is something we don't see a lot done at the festival, uh, particularly on the uh, festival stage, because it's a thrust, and projecting on the thrust is never an easy feat. But mm-hmm. this pr- set uh, used it. Uh, so did this uh, set pr- uh, uh, projections um, enhance your viewing experience? Uh, Jill, you're like nodding, and yes. you're like... Eager and ready to jump on this I'm one. jonesing for this one. I'll let you dive right in. Um, this production just hats off to the cast because mm-hmm. I have, I love minimalist sets 
minimalist sort of like scopes of productions. Mm -hmm. But with that, like it's got to be jam packed with so much energy and chemistry of the cast and company. Otherwise, like it's literally going to fall flat because there's lack of any other spectacle that's kind of lifting Mm -hmm. you. So even though the project projections was kind of like an amazing aha moment each time they switched, um, it was still simplistic enough that just like, Mm -hmm the life existed in the bodies on stage. And I just, again, I just want to like hats off to the whole cast because the chemistry was so rich and um, I was never sitting back in my seat. I was only always on the edge. There were so many twists and turns and the projections were just a lovely sort of like blanket supporting what was happening. And um, the dramaturge in me went wild because the the images were abstract enough to kind of like let your brain kind of interpret it the way you wanted it to but it was specific enough to be like oh yeah like I can't see that being any other way like mm-hmm. um so I guess sorry where do I where do I jump in um so basically the production the projections for me were very it added a very atmospheric vibe throughout the whole piece mm-hmm. um and one sort of scope of how I looked at it um it supported the mental states of Iago a lot for me like the clouding smoke and the waves crashing in. Um, and then, but then as I'm talking about this too, I'm like, Oh, that could also just the crashing and sort of smoky fogginess of falsity of relationships that's happening like on the stage as well. Um, and it's, it's just interesting that the play opens with sort of Iago kind of acting like a marionette sort of operator with his like cloud of, um, peg people around him with the union of Othello and Desdemona happening upstage. Um, So it was from there that I'm like, okay, like maybe this is where the root of the projection sort of stem from that moment. And then it was after his scene with Rodrigo when sort of the creation of the neighborhood doors happened, it almost seemed like Iago was summoning that up. And then, so it was cool because I hooked into like, okay, projections sort of like the scope of Iago's mind, lovely. But then as it started to develop, and then we also had like not only smoke on the projections, but like the fog coming in onto the stage, I was like, oh my goodness, we're using two different theatrical elements to like emphasize that. And like, now I feel like this is like an Othello sort of backdrop that's that's supporting this moment. So it really added so much... Um, little dramaturgical significance that I think would be present in like a prop or a set or what have you. But it was just like the fact that it was just like the backdrop and it was, it literally added depth to the stage, like (laughs) quite literally again in a scene with Iago and Rodrigo, like the depth of sort of the alleyway, but then it just added this deeper thinking and, and um, rooting into these characters. And then it also, um, sort of like the scrim aspect of it too, when seeing the people behind those, the projections. So there's moments when like Amelia is sort of eavesdropping what's happening on stage. And then Othello has his whole eavesdropping and aside moments. And they're behind that like sort of scrim panel that also has a projection on it. I'm like, okay, now again, we have a multi-layered sort of um, people in like the fog, the falseness, um, it's just like a glaze that that covered the whole story. Um, sorry, I have my notes. I'm making sure I'm not forgetting anything. Um, and then the sheer fact that it was it had us play in like 
grays and or blacks and whites throughout the whole piece. Um, it again paid homage to to the battle of race that's at hand. And then also the gray imagery sort of leaching into is how like a lot of these characters operate on the gray scale too. Like we talked about too, like, are you a true ally? Are you not? Like, where do you lie? Manipulation, right? Like to me, that's a very like gray hue. And it's like that comes in through like these puffs of smoke and these like the rainfall and the crashing of the waves, right? And so, um, yeah, I just, I was, I was gung-ho about these projections. <laughs> and I've seen many, many productions and in the series in general too, that the lack of set and props just didn't hit it for me because the energy of the cast wasn't on par. And I think it's, it's with this like beautiful explosion of dramaturgical digitalized worlds complementing the juiciness and intensity of, of the human contact on stage. That was just like a double, double hitter. Um, I love how visually literate you are. I know. I'm literally over here. I'm quaking with excitement. Uh, and I'm trying not to use the same words over and over. So I'm like, ooh, juicy. We'll throw that in there. Thanks to my pineapples, I was able to find that of, word. A lot of the tourists didn't like that visual uh, imagery. They, right. they got it all, you know, cut and dried and, and all drawn out for them. And I think your, your view is a lot more exciting. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, again, it just, it talks to the conversation of, and we had this conversation in last week's panel too, of like, if we want to do these pieces, we have to do them in a way that's going to resonate with today. Mm -hmm. And whether that be like today message wise or today, like production wise being like, let's digitalize and liveness this sucker so that it sort of can speak to a broader audience. Right. And so It, it makes is more visually literate. Certainly, their mind mind was, and and uh, right. and if if this stuff is going to stay alive, like you said, you got to find ways to communicate to the people that are alive now. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, yeah, a a plus for those projections. <laughs> well, again, that's uh, Denise Karn and uh, and Nigel uh, working together, and the technology Beautiful. is just sort of starting to catch up with us visually too. Yeah. Uh, one thing I've been I do is watch concerts on uh, on YouTube, and and the projections and stuff like that. That's starting to sink into uh, into uh, the theater world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As much as video games are starting to mesh together with uh, with motion picture movies, motion pictures. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's all becoming a, a mesh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, David, since you were in the room during the rehearsals, I mean, did uh, Nigel and uh it's and sorry her name uh, denise or yeah yeah denise uh, uh, did they kind of explain to you what they were going for with those projections oh yeah they, yeah i mean yeah. yeah from from day one i mean denise came in and and and, and did a presentation uh she even had some mock-up pictures that she projected on the on the scene uh maquette cool. but really until we got in the room and put those uh, screens up and the scrims we like I, I had anything to do with it. <laughs> it was put that up. Um, they really didn't know what the effect was going to be because it, 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 like you said, it's never been tried on the stage before. But right. I, obviously, it was a smashing success with you guys and me too. Yep. I thought it was fantastic, you know. Mm -hmm. Between that and the lighting, that's how you get 
the uh, the scrim effects. It's, it's it's all lighting stuff and and expanding the space and making it really small and tight mm -hmm. without having to move walls. It also helps keep the pace of the show up, right? Yes. There's not people hauling furniture all and off and mm -hmm. you know crew guys moving you know big pieces of set around. So mm -hmm. it keeps the audience in the play. Um, as long as we stay ahead of you, you're going to have a good time. If you guys mm -hmm. are, are thinking ahead of us, it's mm -hmm. not going to be a very interesting night of theater. It and also just, yeah, one last thing too, it kept it so raw because like the thing with having like a digitalized projection as opposed to like moving of set pieces or walls or what have you like as the audience like that is what you're seeing right so like what is projected on that screen you're made to see whereas like you know if it was this moving set piece or what have you where you're sitting in the theater you might get a certain view of something else um and then you sit in that in that comfort or, or what have you but with the projections it's kind of like bam and this is not moving so it's like this is what you're seeing um and and it to me too it adds some people would probably think it's more distracting, but to me, it kind of wasn't because it was like, okay, this is the two dimensional thing that I'm just supposed to like kind of see in the background. And then I could focus more on the three dimensional mm -hmm. reactions and, and relationships happening in front of it. Exactly. And, and that's exactly what it does. It makes yeah. us even more three dimensional. Yeah. And, it, and it's, we don't see it at all. You know, I'm, I'm not looking at what's going on the wall behind me, you know, right. I'm trying to engage in this scene. I'm trying right. to affect somebody or being affected by someone, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what you guys get to witness. Yeah. Not us trying to navigate, oh, I gotta get around this. Yeah, place. yeah, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to trip over that ottoman during this fight <laughs> sequence, you know? Yeah. Rugs. It's always the rugs. rugs. The yeah. Rugs on the floor, and of course somebody's gonna trip over them, of course. <laughs> and then there's yeah. five rehearsals using different ad adhesives to keep the rugs down, you know? It's like, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tanisha, for you, since this was your first time seeing a production of Othello, like how did these projections kind of influence the way you watched Othello since this was kind of your first experience with it? Um, I loved them. Like I am a lighting geek. So when it comes to like that, a production, that's something that I always like just take especially into account and watching the projections with the lighting, it just like it blew my mind because I was like, oh my gosh, this just makes me think of so many things. I can do in the future and I just I loved it because it, it like everything that Jill said like just everything she said everything they said y'all took my points <laughs> <laughs> didn't take um, no no it's good um, or that yeah like it just it didn't take me out of the production at all like it wasn't distracting um mm -hmm. I, I was I was very much like it just added layers um, which I guess I guess was said already, but yeah, it was just really amazing to watch. It tied into like the modernization, which I thought was perfect because if you're if you're gonna do a modernized play, like you have to mm -hmm. like yeah, like use the technology available to you mm -hmm. to exactly what everybody said, like grip the audience that's gonna come watch it, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, it just all the points that I had were said. Um, but, <laughs> like literally all my points, but I just, I, I loved it a lot. And it, it was just, it hit me so much more emotionally because yeah, mm -hmm. the pain was just there. Right. I was mm -hmm. never like, Oh, I know. Like I didn't obviously know what was going to happen, but there was no, like me. Thinking. I was mm -hmm. always like, Oh my gosh. And the mm -hmm. stuff with Iago, I just thought was like, 
it's just so perfect. Mm -hmm. So, so perfect. It just like made me understand mm -hmm. him as a character even more actually. Mm -hmm. Um, because as a per like, you know, when you first encounter a Shakespeare text, you're like, okay, what mm -hmm. are they saying? And it mm -hmm. kind of like, kind of have to play catch up mm -hmm. while you're watching it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that, that's, that's what they said. Um, but with Iago, it was like, it helped me so much to understand his soliloquies. So mm -hmm. I, like, I love that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> Love that. Uh, well, I think for me, like the projections enhanced my viewing experience uh, because it just allowed, as we said, the story to move. And one of the things I liked about the projections was that it left the stage so open because I find a lot of times when we get these bigger physical sets on stage, there's a lot more willing suspension of disbelief the audience has to do because these aren't big sets that can move on and off stage, like uh, a, a, a can in a proscenium where you kind of can get some of these bigger pieces off. So sometimes you gotta be like willing suspension of disbelief it, where it's like, oh yeah, that isn't there. Like, like uh, I find I find it happens a lot of times when I'm watching one of the musicals on the festival stage, where you gotta kind of gotta do a little bit of willing suspension because the sets can't change except for like moving a table on and off. Uh, mm -hmm. But I found with this, because you weren't encumbered by that, the world just came and moved alive so much better because you could move to all these different locations yeah. and you weren't just relegated to that table represents us moving into a new building. Now you actually got to see this bigger world that Othello and Iago and Desdemona and Amelia all inhabit. And the fact you're changing countries as well. So this is so like all these projections were allowed you to do this type of work and the lighting was just so much M more with this production like I think my favorite was when they had that alley going from the um, yeah. stage upstage right corner yeah. going all the way down into the bottom stage left vom in that big long diagonal and it was between um, Rodrigo and, and, and um, Iago, uh, Iago. Mm -hmm. and it was just wonderful with the way they did the shadows and all this kind of great lighting play and it just let this world be so much more mysterious and once again, playing with those masks of the world where it's, which mask are you wearing? The fact that you had these characters doing scenes behind these scrims of fabrics. Once again, it was them revealing a little bit of themselves and then once again, right back in behind the mask. So it was mm -hmm. this playing on this, once again, theme of what's behind that veil of political correctness we all put up yeah. when, we're at, when we're at in society. So. Just to add one, because I'm just thinking of this now, my little my little mm -hmm. dramaturgical brain has been sparked again. The mm -hmm. specificity of the projections kind of got muddier as it went on. Because if I'm remembering, mm -hmm. like that alley scene and the yes. erection of the neighborhood doors and everything was mm -hmm. literally like a pencil sketch out of mm -hmm. specificity to scenery. Yes. But then as we kind of clicked along, it became very like, emotional states and like i said mm -hmm. like the washing and the fogging and things blurred mm -hmm. um and and it became like i said as a, as opposed to like stark black white sketching this mm -hmm. sort of gray mm -hmm. gooiness um mm -hmm. as as it went on so wow the see it just never ends you can just <laughs> <laughs> when i find an element that i can just keep digging and digging and digging you're like yes you know that 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 is that is some good mm -hmm. stuff that is some mm -hmm. yeah yeah, wonderful. Wow. Wonderful. Uh, Tanisha, I'm going to let you kick off our next question. So the question is, did this modern setting and adaptation uh, give uh, Iago a clear motive for his actions against Othello? 
Because a lot of times we struggle with that. Of yeah, why is, is Iago? As a person who's like never encountered this place, mm-hmm. so it's interesting that um, me having to answer this question, I was like, I sat there and I thought about it for a minute. I'm like, what did I really think that he was after and why? Mm-hmm. And the only answer that I could come up with personally, I was like, that he wanted to be with Desdemona. And I know that there's just like, there's more to it. Like, I know that it could be about race as well, but like just this production for me, I didn't get that. I just, he was so, um, oh, sorry. Let me pull up um, who played uh, Iago. Gordon, Gordon Miller. S. Yeah, Gordon S. Miller, who played Dr. Caius and Mary Wives. So very yeah. different characters. Um, okay, yeah. So he did just such a great job of being like, this manipulative, like, creepy guy that when it came for, like, what was his motives to me, it just, it was all creepiness and towards Desdemona and wanting to be with her and less about, like, even the race. Or even uh, because I know that um, when Othello is brought down, like, he does, mm-hmm. Iago doesn't take his place in the army. So nope. I, that couldn't be his motive either. It's Cassio who ends up uh, you know, advancing in rank. So I was like, that couldn't be it either. It has to be just like this creepy element of him. So mm-hmm. it, the modern setting, it kind of didn't really give me a clear motive, but if there was mm-hmm. one, that was it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I also I, want to play again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Delve into it more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, David, for you, I mean, having been in the room with Gordon as as this play was being rehearsed and developed, like, what kind of stood out to you in this modern production? I, I, did you have any talk with Gordon about his characterization uh, uh, of Iago? Not really, but the next time I tell see him, I'm definitely going to tell him what you said, because there's absolutely nothing in the text to support that. That's mm-hmm. what you were reading off of his body language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Not a word in the text to support that. He he states his case in his first soliloquy. I hate him because he is black. Yeah, I forgot that. Um, he also suspects that him and his wife, or uh, that Othello and his wife, had something going on at some point. Right. So it's it's his own jealousy and and. Um, he expected to get the job that Othello did get. He was passed over for Othello okay. uh, to become general and take this force to Cyprus. Right. Um, and the reason Cassio gets it is because uh, Iago's plot is busted. Amelia <laughs> busts him in front of everybody. Yeah. So right. he's disgraced. So the hell with him. Cassio, you're going to get the job. Right. But I'm, that is totally, you totally read that off of Gordon's body language, probably the way he looked at it when he was in the room. But that was, right. that was, a, that was an actor adding yeah. layers upon layers upon layers. Because right. completely justifiable, absolutely justifiable. Yeah. And, and good on you for reading that off of him. That's so cool. Well, it was in the way that he treated his wife. Well, the- that that too, that too was really rich in this in this piece. The difficulties that those two were having. Most most re- productions you see that just sort of glanced over. You know, this is just a bickering uh, couple.
couple, but she really loved him and really mm -hmm. wanted to get him back. Yeah. And mm -hmm. again, that's credit to Laura. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's mm -hmm. the, the layers that she, she decided to put underneath these words. A different actor might not have played it the same way. Mm -hmm. Credit to both of them because they really yeah. pulled out that relationship. Oh, absolutely. They really connected. Yeah. And that's why I thought that. I was like, okay, so he's done with his wife. He's over her. He wants Desdemona. Like, that's why he's being this creepy mm -hmm. dude. I totally forgot. <laughs> In the oh, beginning, he says, I hate him. Yeah. Even though he did so well the whole production, it was just mm -hmm. those, he fleshed out the relationship so well with the people that that's, that's what. His motives were That's me. why the best part in that play is Iago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Othello doesn't have the same kind of relationship with the audience that, that Iago has. Iago comes downstage and he talks to you all. Yeah. And he tells you his plan. Uh, Othello almost never talks to you. Right. Uh, put out the light, then put out the light. He's talking to the light. He's not talking to the audience. And then he starts talking to the sleeping Desdemona. He's not talking to you guys. Right. But Iago has all of this time with you guys to build mm -hmm. a relationship, to make you love him. So you'll, you'll cheer him on as sick as that is, but you cheer him on. And, and might I, even... I just want to address what you said earlier about the, the, the strength and power of, of the female characters. Shakespeare doesn't write heroes. He writes mm -hmm. heroines. Yes. Yeah. Most of his plays have gotten these incredible women living in this world of men. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Iago's not a, a, a hero in the conventional sense of hero. He's the guy you cheer for, but he's not, you know, he's not a hero. You know, he's scum of the earth. Mm -hmm. And no more is, is, a, a, is Othello a hero. Amelia is the hero. Yeah. Play, you know? Yeah. Uh, the Merry Wives of Windsor, the, the women are the heroes in that play. None of the men are heroic, but right. the women are, you know? Right. I was, there was this really interesting theory. If you get, if you get on the, uh, you know, who really wrote Shakespeare, um, there's this guy that is convinced that, uh, that it was a woman. Mm -hmm. um, oh. because, and, and he used for his argument that he writes such incredible women but the men are all so dysfunctional. Macbeth, uh, hmm. like uh, the Henrys. I mean, all of these guys are messed up, but the women, they're the strength. They're the strong. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are together. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that really know what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. While the right. men are flapping and floundering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. Well, well said. Uh, Jill, you were, you wanted to jump in there. Um, yeah, just because uh, a, a good tie-in to what Tanisha and what David just mentioned too of um, Gordon S. Miller's depiction of Iago, like you were saying, David, absolutely, like Iago's the one that talks to the um, the audience and like quite honestly has more asides than, I don't even think Othello, ha I mean his asides are, if anything, was that one moment when he was upstage, but he was commenting clearly on, like, what was happening in front of him as opposed to, like, letting the audience mm -hmm. in on it. And it was interesting, though, like, not only did Iago, like, Gordon S. Miller's Iago have these asides that it is his relationship with the audience, but I found also in his conversations with the characters on stage, very often, like, almost, like, 80% of his conversations, he would 
throw out a lot of the dialogue to the audience. So it's not even like necessarily being like, I'm talking to you now, but it's like a, a another layer of manipulation was him like throwing his words away from the conversation and like trying to get the audience on his side or like, you know, like purposely de not giving eye contact. So um, I totally agree with Tanisha and like this, Gordon S. Miller's Iago specifically. And again, talking back to the set projections mm -hmm. and this sort of like what my brain was doing, piecing those two together. Um, I think it was like a classic case of the element of his like disgust and, mm -hmm. and opposition to Othello mm -hmm. and the whole discussion of race was the root. But then like, mm -hmm. And you see this so often in people nowadays who are bigoted and um, conservative. Uh, you know, you find sort of like their persona is not um, necessarily like flushed out in mm -hmm. a certain way either. It's like it's like they have these opinions, and then once you also get to know more of the person, you kind of know like okay, that's why you're like that. Like, and it's not mm -hmm. justifying it, but it's like there's something heavier at hand here. And I think mm -hmm. the fact that these projections and like Gordon's take on it too was like we really got um, sort of like a we got to be like a camera inside of Iago's psyche and at least Gordon S. Miller's Iago was like, not um, like just operated on a very different plane than mm -hmm. anyone else on stage. And like, so sorry, I'm just trying to like gather my thoughts with, cause that was like a tangent into my notes, but um also, sorry, yeah, so, like, the selfishness of, of the everyday kind of rings out more um, in a relatable sense with this production, too, because, like, throwing it in a modern setting, too, where, and especially in having it be a bunch of, like, modern soldiers, there kind of is that through line of, like, every man for themselves, you know, like, even though you are, like, a squad, you are a team, um, there's, there's kind of, there's that, there's that, like, backstabbedness uh, presence with this modern day produ project production. Um, and quite honestly too, like this Iago to me shot from the hip quite often. And it was funny because near the end, he's like wounded in the hip. And I was like, I found that to be really cool. And then how EB, um, EB Smith was the one to kind of like dig in the final, like into his hip to take him off stage. And I was like, yes, I love that EB was the one to remove Iago. I was like snaps for that. Cause it took his like motive and that whole character full circle because it was like, you had this sort of, if, if this is a modern day setting, you know, you have this sort of, I'm going to say it like small minded way of looking at the world and like, mm -hmm pegging like unnecessary qualms against people who are supposed to be your allies and then like this this is how it's kind of was like a, a wake-up call like this is like you're not you're not winning you know because 100 iago's character like doesn't win in this even though he does survive like we all know he doesn't win and i just like i had to mention the the idea of eb taking him off stage because i'm like yes you did not win um so, sorry, that was a really roundabout way of answering that question. Um, but, 
yeah, I think I think it's just like his his motive is clear, like in the text, and then but I think like this this projection took it way deeper and added multiple layers within him as a person, but then extracted that away again. And to be like, you, you know, you can have your thoughts and opinions, but like at the end of the day, like call you, we're calling a spade a spade. Like you're not, you're not winning here. And it was like really refreshing to see that final moment of him leaving the stage uh, flushed out in that way. Mm -hmm. um, I have to disagree. Yeah. I have to okay. He does win. I'm about to say the, the same thing. Is littered with dead bodies. He's yeah. still alive. And nobody says anything about killing him. They're taking them away. Yeah. But nobody says anything about him being about him dying. So ultimately he does win. Everybody else is dead. Except him. Right. Uh, and, and that's that's his last line. Uh I'm stabbed, but I am not killed. And then <laughs> drives the drives his fist into his wound but he's still alive and everybody every he succeeded he's yes. destroyed everybody he wanted to destroy gone mm -hmm. right yeah i yeah david, david that was in my notes too that iago i was, I was going to rebuttal jill as well where iago wins he, he he destroys othello and desdemona like he want like he sets out to do at the top of the play he had one goal it was get rid of them and sure enough by the end they're gone um, but I think what made, uh, Iago, uh, first of all, his motives are, we're never fully clear. I mean, we've seen so many interpretations of why is he beyond the fact that I hate them more. That's his one kind of go line. But like I was watching a, um, uh, program, uh, uh, um, uh, it's called, what was it called? Uh, it's it's called something like between the lines, something like that, where 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 a different celebrity t uh, explores a Shakespeare play. Mm -hmm. So 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 there so there is one with Christopher Plummer exploring King Lear, one with Kim Cattrall exploring uh, Auntie Cleopatra. There and then I and then I forget the wonderful actor who was exploring Othello, but even he goes like throughout history, people have kind of pondered Iago in his, in him. So while like the, the play never gives us all the things we need to fully understand Iago, what I think the setting did was it helped us understand him mm. because we're seeing people like him in the world mm -hmm. that are becoming more brazen, coming to the forefront, coming out of these woodworks where they're ripping off their masks, uh, masks and are full on just out, like, out and out being racist and saying simply, I hate the more. Like that, we're seeing these people more and more and more now coming out. And Gordon S. Miller, what he did was he made Iago less mustache, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to get him. But he made him human. He yeah. made him realistic. Like the fact this Iago, he wasn't this built tank of a man. Like, don't worry, Gordon S. Miller's still a very fit person. But like, he was still very human. Like he had a bald spot. He, he was a little bit unshaven. He wasn't like six-pack he was kind of modern looking everyday man and he was realistic and that's what made him so much more scarier iago is that we're seeing a very human person take the stage and be somebody who could be sitting in that audience watching the show because i'm sure if we all look through our friend lists we know these small-minded 
um, racist um, pe- uh, people that we've come across in life, whether they be family, family friends, whoever, who like, who, who like, sometimes when they say something, you kind of do the, what did you just say? That type of situation. And the fact that that's what Gordon S. Miller brought to this role is that he made the I hate the more line such a definitive statement of this is it. I hate him. I have no reason to. I'll make up some reasons that kind of give me some type of justification. But really, I got nothing else beyond I hate him because he's black and he's the more. That's it. And that was driven right through like a like a like a 18 wheeler truck throughout this whole piece was just <laughs> I hate him, I hate him, I hate him, and I'm gonna do everything in my power to destroy this man. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I just think that that's what Gordon Miller did was he made it a very human, a human Iago. He wasn't Machiavellian. He was the everyday white man who we are seeing more and more in the world now. Unfortunately. Who does it with wit and charm and grace and evil. You know, the modern face of the clan, that, 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 that guy that somebody punched in the face. I was so happy the other day. <laughs> Uh, the leader of the uh, the alt right, mm-hmm. very clean cut, always wears nice suits, speaks mm-hmm. educated and articulate, and 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 tries ever so hard to be charming and witty. Uh, but that's again, that's what makes those guys compelling. Yeah, that's what makes that. And anybody that is sitting in the audience, they're cheering. They're going, yeah, yeah, get him, mm-hmm. do it. It drives home too, like especially this in depiction, like the power and sway that an individual like Mac gave us a wonderful description of uh, can have on a whole state, like a whole country, a a whole um, community of people, you know, and how scary that is and how that is rippling through our very world right now. And uh mm-hmm. The Iagos are out there and we are seeing them more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And that is scary. The uh, Iagos of the world are the guys that are making the world because they're smart yep. and yes. they're powerful and they're witty and they know how to manipulate the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the founding fathers were very bright guys. Uh, yes. Thomas Jefferson was an amazing dude, mm-hmm. but he was also banging one of his uh, servants. Mm-hmm. I saw this thing the other day. He put a notice in the paper looking for a runaway slave and I'll pay you $50 to bring him back and I'll give you $10 for every hundred lashes you give him up to $300. Oh, wow. Do the math. Yeah. And the bottom line is Nobody would survive that many yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Well, but this was Thomas Jefferson, the mm-hmm. founding father. And this is a notice this guy put in the newspaper. And that is the face of real racism. Mm-hmm. These are the guys we got to worry about. I don't need to worry about the guys with the Confederate flags and the pickup trucks. I need mm-hmm. to worry about the guys that are, are, are manipulating a, a, a tax benefit super rich. Those are the guys I need to worry about. Yeah. Those are the guys that are hurting me 
and everybody else that doesn't have multi-million dollars. That is the real face of racism now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not guys in pickup trucks. It's guys in suits. Yeah. What, Tanisha? Sorry. Wisdom from David Collins. Yeah. More wisdom from David Collins. I love that. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Okay. So now we're going to kind of dive more into the text of this play um, and just kind of explore these characters a bit. And uh, Jill, I'm going to let you kick this one off. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, do Amelia's actions in Othello's plot make her the secondary villain of the piece or is she another victim of this play? So I struggle with this question because like I, first of all, 100% she is not a villain. I refuse to make her out to be a villain, even though the text could paint her that way. I think just using the production we saw as a case study, it is very evident that you can say those lines in a way that absolutely makes her not a villain 1000%. I think she falls victim to Iago, like a lot of people in this, in this play do, Mm -hmm. but like, it goes back to what David was saying. Like to me, she's like the true hero of this piece. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah. And it goes back to what I've said too. um, And again, using the production as, as a case study that her, her voice is not squelched and it's like that there's something there's there's power in the way that this female character is written because like her status is very secondary and very like underneath her husband and you know her initial motive is sort of painted out to be her wanting to get her husband back but I think there's just like so much more that comes out in her as the piece goes on um and it's that wonderful like she's sort of it's kind of like what we were talking about with Mary wives with mistress Ford and um, mistress page of like their innately kind of like have heroic qualities. It's not like dawned upon them or they like grow through the men in their lives to have them. It's like, she kind of just has this sort of like fiery independence mm-hmm. off the get go. Um, Cause I even remember seeing Deborah Hay as, as Amelia. I remember she had that same, like that fire to her from the very beginning, even though I remember her depiction of Amelia was a bit more subservient as uh, Laura's was, but um, yeah, I think she just like, she falls under Iago's like spell of love and um, the, the sense of security that he gives to her. Um, but then, you know, she has a realization that she, you know, uh, once she kind of sees beyond rose-colored glasses, that following this hateful, deceitful man um, is not the be-all and end-all. And when she kind of coincides with all the other female voices in in this piece, um, and realizes the sort of like not only the betrayal of herself that Iago places upon her, but the betrayal of the women and the other females that she shares a space with too. Um, definitely like i said makes her more of a hero so a victim to iago 100 percent. but then i think it's through that like she she comes out she comes out on top absolutely yeah tanisha what do you think um yeah like i i totally agree with everything jill said i put down another victim of iago 
Jesus. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, exactly. Like, especially the way it was played by Laura. I mm-hmm. um, have read the, I've never like encountered the full text of it though, but I had read her monologue before. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was so interesting because I like read it and I think maybe I like did it, you know, for like an audition or something. Um, Same. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I approached the text so differently. Like, Me too. It was, it just blows my mind to actually see the full story. And then like Laura, like really flushed out her character. It was so rich and beautiful to see. I was like, oh my gosh, that's like a, that's a human being who I can like relate to and just see. And and just now her whole speech made so much more sense. And I was like, oh my God, through the way I ever did it. I don't even know how I ever did it. Like that, like David Collins says, like you can, be here or you can be here in the bar back <laughs> and like that is just what I saw and I definitely like it it made me I think I said this on another panel but I will say it again like it made me realize that there um want to say this again that like there are no like villains or like heroes there's only like or like good or bad people so there we're all just people who do good or bad things mm-hmm. so it wasn't like she was like a bad or a villain or anything like that, I was like, oh my gosh, she did a bad thing and didn't realize why it was bad. And now she is. And now she's the truth teller, which actually kind of, yeah, makes her like the best one. Um, uh, yeah. And so that's, that's what I got out of it. Um, uh, let me just check my notes, make sure I didn't miss anything. Um, Oh yeah, and I just I loved the direction or like the block. I don't know who chose to do this, but there was a moment where she's like, "No, I'm not." The text says she's like, "I'm not gonna give you. I'm not gonna give him the handkerchief. I don't know what he wants with it." And he's he's kind of, you know, uh, I don't really trust that. I'm gonna get somebody to copy it. But then Iago like uh, goes to like fake you for a kiss and gives her a kiss and then takes it and she's like <sighs> devastated and it's like. Ah, because she wanted that kiss mm-hmm. over the handkerchief, but then at the she realizes what she did. It was so beautiful to watch. Yeah, so, like, yeah. Her, her performance showed that the question is um, something that you definitely can answer as an actor as well. Because that's me thinking when I did it, I was like, I definitely was probably just like, I don't even know. I don't even. Know. But yeah, it just made me realize that you can definitely do so much as an actor with this text. It's funny you said that too, Tanisha, because like that monologue is in like my arsenal works too. And like I've always approached it in kind of like more of a comedic sense of like, oh, we're just having a chat with Desdemona. But then seeing it on stage, I'm like, why was I ever like brainwashed to think that reading that speech like in a comedic sense is like, I mean, it's okay, I guess, but I'm like, no, no, no. Like, there's a lot more depth to this girl that you're kind of, mm-hmm. for some reason, not giving her. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just kind of goes back to, like, a bit of a broader concept, David, you being, like, the females are the heroines of this piece. Like, it, it kind of mm-hmm. put fire under, under my butt, again, of being, like, I need to reevaluate the, the status and prowess mm-hmm. that these females have in all these pieces. Because... That's all okay. Because you're... Yeah. You look at that same speech 10 years from now and you'll see something completely different because you'll right. have had all kinds of different life experience. You'll have seen other people do it. That's the wonderful thing about this material. It's so rich. Right. Every time you do it, 
it it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper you know mm -hmm. the uh the audience gets to see the the tip of the glacier but the glacier is freaking enormous and the older it is the bigger it is you know it's, right so i mean it's all valid every you know whatever you did with that monologue it's all good that that was your perspective on things then Right. Now, you look at it now, it'll be different. And again, you look at it again in 10 years, and it'll be completely different. Trust me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think she was a victim of her own love. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that, uh, yeah. Right. How relatable is that, too? That's like a big relatable point, too. Haven't we all done it and done it over and over and over again? Some of us. I yeah. Mean, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I actually wrote in my notes, she is a victim of love and Othello and Othello's web. She basically is another fly caught in his kind of trap that he sets up. Um, but I, 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 but I, I put it down to Amelia can go many ways. I mean, it depends on the actress and it depends on the, and it depends on the production of how you play Amelia. I mean, I mean, Laura did a fantastic job of playing this wonderfully heroic Amelia who at the end, I cheer for her. Like, I was like, yes, like, rip off Iago's mask and give him the stab to the gut because he yes. deserves nothing less. <laughs> like, give it to him, honey. Like, you got it. Um, but then I was like, well, I mean, I, I, I mean, you, call, you also could direct it a totally different way where Amelia is very much like Iago, like, very much against the marriage of, of Desdemona and Othello, making her more of a Lady M type figure, who by the end, when she realizes what she's done, her guilt is what drives her to do the... Uh, turn on Iago in that final moment, but like you can go so many ways with Amelia. Like that's one. Of, like, she's one of those great characters where she gives you a lot of room to play. Where a lot of times it's like like does like like, like if, if, if it's always between Desdemona and Amelia, I'll go for Amelia over Desdemona because I mean like just yeah. watching like I mean Amelia playing Desdemona, like she her 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 performance really brought to light where there's a lot of like, even though Desmond is a strong character and her love for Othello is beautiful and strong and her commitment to him is wonderful, her lines are a lot of, honey, it's okay, like, I'm innocent here. Like, it's a lot of very repetitive thing. It's kind of almost like Tony Westchester where he, where, where he goes the whole time, Doc, I'm in love. And it's like, okay, we got that in the first scene. We're now at the end of the play. What more can you give me? Like, Desdemona, I think, falls into that trap while Amelia, there's so much more yeah. gray and things to like, um, excavate um, yeah. with, with her character that I just don't think Desdemona has. Even though Desdemona's a very strong character in her <laughs> own right for what her for, for her choices. Like, when she's dying on the bed and she doesn't give Othello up, it's Othello who gives himself up. Yeah. She doesn't uh, blab to uh, Amelia going, it was him! He did it to me! Like, she goes, I'm a victim of, uh, like of my own making. So, mm -hmm. like, that still gives Desdemona power at the end. But I think um, Amelia too is a very much a, another strong female role to kind of that once again we kind of overlook, just like the Mistress Page and Mistress Ford, where we kind of go, "Oh, Othello, Desdemona, got it, okay." <laughs> but it's like, no, no, no. There's somebody else who's just as strong who is actually the real kind of has the hero moment of the play that we oftentimes kind of <laughs> over. Okay, let's head to this next uh, question. Mm -hmm. And it's a, yeah, it's an interesting one that I'm excited to hear people's opinions on. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is this a play specifically about blackness or is it about otherness in general? Uh, could you swap Othello's gender or 
or make him another minority. So then I, I listed some examples in the question for to kind of spur the thought process where it's like, could you have an Asian actor play Othello with an all-Caucasian cast? Or could Othello be a woman in an all-male cast? Or, or, or vice versa, where like Othello is, is the only male in an all-female cast. So... David, I, I, David, since, since you've lived in this world much longer, like, what do you think about this question? Like, where do you, like, where do you go with um, Othello? That's an interesting question. Uh, but I think you start messing with gender mm-hmm. and race. Mm-hmm. You throw out the, poli- the dangerous sexual mm-hmm. politic of the sanctity of white womanhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This play absolutely pays an homage to. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, um, there's nothing in the world more threatening to a, a, a white father than a black man chasing after his daughter. It would turn it into a completely different dynamic mm-hmm. uh, if you switch up genders. Yeah. It's, you know, it's an image that's been embedded into our heads mm-hmm. uh, for 400 years mm-hmm. uh, that only got exasperated by uh, by the by the KKK by the alt right, mm-hmm. you know those are exactly the. I mean that's part of the credo of of, of the KKK to preserve the sanctity of white womanhood. Mm-hmm. That's part of their justification for why they have to uh, keep black people in line. Mm-hmm. It's you know all for God and, and, and the way God, but that's one of their. One of the things on their declaration is protect the sanctity of white women. Mm-hmm. So would it be the same kind of play? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Well said. Uh, Tanisha, what are your thoughts go- going off of David? Yeah, that, I think this is a great question. And I, I was torn and I thought about it for a lot. And then mm-hmm. like, I really thought about the language that I heard in the play and like what this like what the story was about mm-hmm. and I thought um it's just it, was, it took me a while to like come to this realization because I was just like I didn't want to say it but I was like I feel like this play yeah that's exactly like what David said it that's what it's about so if mm-hmm. you kind of like change it you're losing the act the story of what it you mm-hmm. know what I mean like what it was about and I mm-hmm. like if the person identifies as a person of color then I feel like, yeah, go for it. Um, but if, if not, then I don't know, because it it's going to change the story. And I feel mm-hmm. like because the word, this might be personal, but like come when I, this is me first coming across this text again, when I was watching it, the word more, the way it was used, it wasn't just used to describe him, like, be, like oh, like the color of his skin. It was also mm-hmm. used in the way that like people would use the N-word. And yeah. And like that's like their version of it, but like fourteen hundred years ago, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I was like, I, I don't feel like you can change it because like that it's mm-hmm. so specific, and that like, ah, mm-hmm. oh. it's an archetype that we yeah. as a society really understand. Yeah. It's the archetype that I have to fight against every time I'm in the grocery store, yeah. and I'm pushing my cart, and a white lady sees me and holds her purse because she sees. That archetype. She doesn't see David. She sees the archetype. Yeah. I'm. I'm. He's dangerous, and I'm under threat. Yeah. And that's an archetype we understand very well in the society. That's the archetype that we're trying to bust down right now. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why I think, like, I'm sorry, but, like, like, it's for black people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hate saying it, but, like, it is. No, like, yeah. No, absolutely. There are stories like to be one... told that are specific. Yeah, and, like, she's your road this, and I'm like, it's okay for us to have it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. No apologies. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Jill. Yeah, your, just your just exactly what they said to you. I think absolutely, especially if we're talking about like relevancy, like a fellow still needs to be a black man. Like, and I think forevermore, um, uh, unfortunately, no pun intended, because um, I don't, I don't think it'll resonate. It just, I think it does a disservice to like, not only the text, but just like to, to the way that we're interpreting our text, you know, like there's something to like, even if you do make him an, another other um it's just like why like you know there's mm-hmm. there's 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 sometimes there's moments and and interpretations of text that i think are are going too far or too abstract when it's like we need to deal with like what we're given now and like mm-hmm. put that on stage and like mm-hmm. to me i i just think like that there's there's so much more that can happen with this too like even David was saying flushing out or changing the racial identities or gender identities of other characters. Like now that adds like, you know, a different mm-hmm. twist or spin on, on um, the whole idea of, of race and gender politics in this piece that mm-hmm. that can be flushed out too. But I don't think you can strip away um, the, the race of, of what, who this character is supposed mm-hmm. to be. Um, and yeah, there's just so much, of his identity like mm-hmm. like of himself and of what all the characters sort of see him as or lend him to be that I, mm-hmm. I think it would just sit very foreign in any other sort of race or or um gender mm-hmm. um identity mm-hmm. yeah uh i mean i'll say i think you're all you're all absolutely right we're like i wrote this is one of these stories that is very specifically designed to be told by a specific actor. Uh, however, I do this, I, I, doing my research, people are trying to do different adaptations of that. And I think that's where we're now going into this. The people are trying to pull it into the realm of otherness versus uh, blackness. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like, I mean, this, as David said, this was written by a white man about a black man based on the, the, the short story of Capitano Moro, a.k.a. The Moorish Captain, by Sintetio. Uh, uh, like, this whole story was about that topic. And that's just the way it is. Like, uh, I, I just like you can't make Shylock not Jewish, because that defeats his whole Hath not a Jew's eye speech. Mm-hmm. You can't, like, I, sure, you can make a fellow anybody else. You could. And just have more as a descriptor kind of insult line thrown but it doesn't have that same power as it would if it's not a black man playing that role mm-hmm. and i think that's what happens i mean like in my research like patrick stewart did a race reverse production where he was the only white guy and it was everybody else was black like he did that like he did that production uh recently in uh in, and uh, Oc- a white guy isn't that dangerous sexually exactly yeah doesn't have that same kind of of danger mm-hmm right. yeah you know, it would be soft. Well, even in this production, like when when Michael Blake like 
hits Amelia, like listen to the audience. They're like, Oh, and I'm like, yeah, was that the audience? How many times? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I really like, wonder, I was like, did, was that an actor in the background making that sound or was that like no, no, no. audience? And you got to, you know, uh, we did it sometimes, for, you know, a couple of thousand 18 year olds. They're going to react. It's going to be visceral. Yeah. And actually, I, 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 I love it when the reaction, as long as the reactions have got something to do with the play, the bigger, the louder it is, the better. Yeah. If it's if the reactions are, are trying to be disruptive or trying to take people out of the play, that's when I want to come in with a baseball bat and shut them down. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Making noise mm-hmm. uh, in reaction to what's going on in the play, mm-hmm. bring it. And yeah. I want to tell you, it, it makes our hearts pound. Absolutely, oh, yeah. God, they're there. They're they're into it. They've taken sides. They're on Desdemona's side. That's why they react like that. You know, if they weren't on that on her side. They wouldn't say anything, you know. But yeah, overall, I think Othello, give it to him. Like, it's a I, 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 this role is written for a black man, and it should be played by. And the fact that we haven't had that happen for like, like, like up till nineteen eighties when Anthony Hopkins played Othello. Like, we haven't had that much time where like a black actor has been given the opportunity to play Othello. Like, I, I like there like in this documentary I watched about Othello, there was. I forget the actor's name, but there, in the early 1900s, a black man did come to London and play Othello. And after you one performance, thank you. Ira Aldridge. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Ira, yeah, thank you. I, Ira Aldridge, where like he came, he did one performance and they shut the theater down and he never got to play it again. Um, Maybe not in London, but he played it all over Europe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just not in that particular West End uh, theater. Yeah. And in fact, uh, they did a production of Othello at Stratford in the 90s. Um, they hired an American uh, film actor. His name was um, Harold Rollins. Mm. was in uh, Ragtime. Yes. And he was also in Soldier Story. He was the, uh, he was the, uh, the, the captain the, mm-hmm. in Soldier Story. Mm-hmm. Um, he... Um, he had some problems and, uh, and uh, had to drop out. And uh, Joe Ziegler had to go on for him. Oh. And Joe Ziegler <laughs> covered it for the rest. They didn't hire a, a black understudy. No. But Joe Ziegler was the last white Othello. In the 90s. In, in the ni- late 90s. Wow. That's, late that is... 90s. That is... Um... Yeah. Well, they didn't. Uh, they didn't hire a black understudy, and they and they hired a guy who was he was a film actor. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a stage actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd never done Shakespeare before, but he had he was famous. He was coming off of uh, Ragtime. It was either Soldier Story, Ragtime. No, yeah, it was Soldier Story and Ragtime. He was nominated for Oscars, so he had his fame quota was up. But he wasn't prepared uh, for 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 that role for live theater for an eighteen hundred seat theater, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and Joe wound up uh, finishing off the role for him. I think he got through opening night, but not uh, the uh, the other actor got through opening night and maybe a couple of shows, and then he just couldn't mm-hmm. do it anymore. Yeah. Wow. So. 
So yeah, I mean, like, leave Othello alone. Let him. Yeah. He play. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I don't like. There's a lot of ways you can interpret. Like, I, I, like I was reading. Like, like, like was it in a lot of different productions trying different things. Like, recently at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, they did a, a gender swap Othello where it was a female of color Faith Edwards playing Othello and a white male playing Desdemona, that got reviewed mixed reviews. Um, recently in Auckland, they had a member of the uh, Maori uh, tribe. Uh, playing playing Othello in Australia. Um, so people are trying, but I think just let it be. Like, like, yeah. like there, are, there are wonderful um, black actors, both male and female, who I think could do this role. So just give them the, like, give them the opportunity. Like, we don't have to reconceptualize something. Like, not every show has to be reconceptualized. Some stories are meant to be told by certain people. Like, mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but Leave it alone, people. Yeah. Like, leave it alone. All right. Next question. Let's let's do it. We're we're we're, we're into the home stretch here, everybody. Uh, and so, Tanisha, you're, you're going to kick off the next question, uh, which is: Is this a play? Uh, sorry, is this play problematic in the way it depicts racialized minorities? Um. So I, oh, I want to say about this. I thought no, because this play explores racism and discrimination, mm-hmm. like and how and the stupidity of it like if you look at the text you there are so many instances where the it is said that there is no like just because he's black doesn't mean that he doesn't have good character like i think mm-hmm. um the one like lady general or something i forget her character she like says it she's like uh like he's a great person even though like you think he's bad just because he's black i forget the line but it's so perfectly said and i'm like that that's so so true but still people think this today to this day mm-hmm. and um uh i'm just going to my notes oh yeah so it's like it explores how it stupid racism is because it's unfounded and, and nothing really real and that mm-hmm. it's not um uh, yeah and like how discrimination like stems from that from like these unfounded reasons like you hate the guy just because he's black no other reason you're gonna just make it up as you go it makes no sense <laughs> it's so unfounded um and it yeah i like don't think that it's a problematic at all i actually think like this play even done today like shows how far we still have to come because it's like you can recognize the discrimination on stage and be like oh like i've seen that before Mm-hmm. yesterday like mm-hmm. in my life so um i don't think that's problematic at all i also think oh yeah i wrote that like it explores the discrimination between biracial couples and like i have to remind myself sometimes even being in one that like not everybody is so open-minded like some people yeah still think like oh like black people should only marry black people and same with white people and it's like it sometimes uh like biracial love isn't just like welcoming like the, f- the first instance that came to mind was i don't know if you guys have heard of this show but it was on netflix it was really big at the beginning of quarantine it's called love is blind everyone was into it but anyways the one couple the dad was like oh are you okay to marry my daughter and he was like very questionable about this biracial couple and then like they're still going strong today i love them i follow them that's still a thing in people's mind, whether they're black or white, and this play explores that, and, like, mm-hmm. how it's just, like, 
such a silly notion of racism in general. Um, so I thought that, yeah, that it, it's not problematic. It's actually, this play is really good to, to continue to do. And um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm mm-hmm. Wonderful. David, what are your thoughts? I, I disagree. I think it is problematic. I think it, it vividly, viciously, violently shows you why black men should not be with white women. Because mm-hmm. this is the outcome. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is, that's the, the allegory. That's the moral lesson of this piece. Mm-hmm. No, you shouldn't mix the races because everybody's going to die. Mm-hmm. And they're going to die awfully. Uh, you know, this isn't uh, uh, an homage to, uh, to, uh, to biracial relationships. As far as I'm concerned, it's, this is why it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being the product of a biracial relationship, that particularly uh, when I was a kid, that was the, the argument. Well, what about the children? What are you going to do? The children are going to be all messed up. They won't know if they're black or if they're white. Or da, da. And again, um, you know, it's an archetype that we know all too well in this society. And I think we need to be telling different stories uh, that are more evolved, that... Uh, the bottom line is <laughs> race is is a is a concept it's it's got nothing to do with reality it was a concept that was uh, invented to divide us yeah. the wonderful thing about uh, this ancestry.com stuff that's been coming out is they're slowly discovering that everybody is multiracial mm-hmm. you're red hair and your your pale skin but somewhere deep down inside of you you've got genes from india and africa floating around mm-hmm. inside of you mm-hmm. uh so do you with your red hair and your mustache somewhere <laughs> deep down inside and, and that's science and yeah. science proving that mm-hmm. we're all one race we are all the human race mm-hmm. and all of these these uh divisions are are are, are are manufactured concepts mm-hmm. to keep people in their little slots. Mm-hmm. And it's yet another falsehood that we're taught about what life is and who we are and where we come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got, I've got four or five races floating around inside of me, yep. but so does everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the more people start uh, doing these uh ancestry or DNA uh, searches of themselves, the more they're just, I mean, there's, there were black people in, in England in the 1600s, but there's no, nobody talks about it. There's, there's no pictures of it. There's, you know, uh, God, there were, there were black people in, in England uh, 2000 years ago. I mean, uh, Caesar sent a, a legion of, of, of African uh, soldiers up to Northern England uh, 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. and they stayed, and they integrated, and they went north and south, and they went to Scotland, and, you know, uh, to Liverpool, and, you know, the gene pool really is a pool, and it is, mm-hmm. we're all full. Yeah. I, I, I swear, I think that's why we, we're such an anti-science society, because science tells us that, yes, we are all connected, and uh, capitalism wants to keep us all in our little separate boxes. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, uh, 
Yeah, it's just I could go on. Mm-hmm. Go on, but I'll shut up and let somebody else talk. <laughs> no, that was wonderful, David. Thank you. No, 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 that's a wonderful point of view. That I think each of us, like we all come in with our different points of view, and yours are wonderful. Like, I, I, gives us something that we never would have thought of. So, thank you. Like, never well, apologize for going. Yeah, and just to like in relationship to that too. Like, I have been in in um, an interracial, many interracial relationships, and like I have had to like precursor kind of like like my parents are very accepting regardless, but like, it was a part of my kind of like, this is who I'm seeing. And like, Mm -hmm. it's okay that he's Muslim, right. Or it's okay that he's black. Right. Like it was like, that was built into like, and my parents are not the ones to instill that in me. That was just like a social thing that like Mm -hmm. was built in me Mm -hmm. saying that, like, it wasn't asking their permission. It was just like, this is happening. And like, I'm just telling you this, but the fact that like society makes it seem like you still have to like justify that is just, it just, another thing that like resonated with what you were saying too, David, my, um, one of my parents, really good friends, they're an interracial couple too. And she, uh, I'll never forget one day she told me, um, she's white and her husband's black and she was taking her I think her son at the time was like six months old um, in she was just going grocery shopping. And this was like back in the eighties or nineties. And um, she would have the same looks like at her because, you know, she was a white woman pushing this baby of color around. And she actually had one woman come up to her and be like, Oh, um, what, what race is your baby? Is this your baby? And she's like, yeah, it's my baby. What, what race is your baby? And she looked her right in the eye and was like, human, like, Mm-hmm. And I was like, good on you, Sue, like, especially in the 80s, 90s, like, I'm just like, and these things are still happening today, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, because yeah, it is so ingrained, like yes, it's so ingrained, uh, mm-hmm. it, our educational system teaches us how to be good racist, because yeah. it teaches us that white people uh, were, were the first society, nothing existed before uh, Europe expanded, uh, and then Europe grew, and it, and it went out, and it, it saved all these heathen savages from from themselves, and and uh, introduced them to God, and 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 created these all these wonderful societies all over the world, and that's mm-hmm. the history that I was taught, that you were taught, yeah. and my children are, were taught. I mean, still to this day, we're just now facing the absolute lie that white people discovered this continent. Dude, there were millions of people living on this continent. And the only way that you can come and take this land away from these people is to dehumanize them. The only way you can stick millions of people in boats and and bring them over here and, and work them to death is to dehumanize them. And that is the basis of this society slavery and genocide Mm -hmm. and that's what we've been working on for 400 years Mm -hmm. and it's we started saying it in the beginning who can i trust who can i believe in because most people still firmly believe that that was the right thing to do because look at all this wonderful stuff we have Mm -hmm. look at these wonderful cities we built Mm -hmm. but we're ignoring what those cities were built on and who those cities were built by, uh, you know, 
And why don't people pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Because they never got a pair of boots to begin with. You know? Well that, said. Yeah. Well, that's the fact. I think, like, in regards to the question, I think they're both the Shakespeare canon. There is it's problematic the way racial minorities are depicted. I mean, if you yeah. look at Aaron and Titus, Shylock and Merchant, Caliban and the Tempest. There's also the Prince of Morocco in yes, in, in, um, yes, Merchant of Venice. In, in Merchant of Venice. Mm-hmm. Um, a little sidebar: I um, mm-hmm. there was a production of it happening in Toronto, mm-hmm. and uh, I called up the uh, the theater and asked mm-hmm. them if. Uh, I could come and audition for the uh, Prince of Morocco. Prince mm-hmm. of Morocco should be a guy that looks like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the phone, they said, yeah, yeah, sure, come down. So I came down, and I showed them my uh, picture and resume, and this young woman came back and said, I'm so sorry, the part's already been cast. Well, what do you mean? I just spoke to you on the phone, and you said it hadn't been cast. Well, in the half an hour it took you to get here, it was miraculously cast. Now, Okie doke, thanks a lot. So I left and I went to go see the production. They hired a white guy and put him in blackface. And that's why they didn't hire me. Because they wanted him to be a clown. And I thought, what a lame choice. Mm-hmm. These, these suitors for Porsche should be for real. Mm-hmm. These should, guys should be for real, serious, rich. Hot, sexy, powerful. Otherwise, what's he got to worry about? Where, where's the conflict? If they're all just sleep, sleep, fluty little clowns, mm-hmm. there's no story. But if these guys are legitimate, okay. and the stuff that Porsche says about women indeed, it's just like, oh man, I used to like you until I saw this scene, you know? You're great <laughs> in the courtroom, but honey, this scene, I'm done with you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. But yeah, I think throughout the canon, there's this problem of the way racialized minorities are depicted. I think if you're going to rank them all of like, which like which of these characters is most developed, I would put Othello like at the top of that list. Oh, Aaron, Aaron and Titus. Oh, Aaron true. Titus yeah, yeah. Is the force of nature. He's a scary mofo. As yeah, he is. Oh, yeah, he yeah. totally is. Powerful uh, and... Uh, Othello, in the first half, yeah, real cool guy, big strong soldier. By the end, he can't even—he ha- doesn't even have the words to deal with his wife. That's why he hits her. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. When you you don't have words to deal, this is when that comes out. Right. And we've watched the disintegration of the, the guy. Mm-hmm. Aaron gets hung at the end, but he's. Yeah. Telling them to stick it to the very last second. Right, right. Yes, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like Aaron, for me, like I, 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 I got, I've always found him a fascinating character. But I think what I liked about Othello, like, uh, like, is just that arc that Othello gets, where, 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 where you see him go from being one thing to another thing like like i always found aaron the few times i've seen that play performed mm-hmm. it always comes across as one note mustache twirly where then, I, was, where then I think it was poorly played i agree mm-hmm. uh, uh, aaron I, I, is watching this really scary mofo turn into tender right guy around this exactly baby, you know yeah 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 Ooh, yeah 
Yeah. yeah. And that's what makes you love him because you see mm-hmm. the, the dark and the light side of him. You know, yeah. that's his heart busting open for the first time. And a, and a good actor, he'll make you cry mm-hmm. at that scene. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I think throughout the whole canon, there's problems. I think Othello, one of the nice things about him is that he falls as many humans do. I mean, I mean, we all can fall to traps like Iago lays out where it's jealousy, revenge, whispers and rumors. I mean, how many times do we hear stories about partners killing each other over this type of infidelity or, or like entire family and annihilation happening because of these types of situations? Perceived like, infidelity. Perceived the real infidelity. problem here was there's a handkerchief that was yeah. That's why he killed her over a handkerchief, dude. I mean, come on. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, you never heard of Kleenex, dude? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think I, I think the, about the handkerchief in particular. I, I think what makes it a great plot device is that it is something so simple, but yet we all get we all can get hung up on these on this one thing that really like. If you just took a step back, it wouldn't be a problem. Hmm. But it's the same thing when, like, you're in a fight with someone. Where, like, I've heard my parents do this, where they have this one piece of ammunition from 20 years ago in a 30-year marriage, where it's like that one time where this happened, and that is an entire battering ram for an argument. Sure. Like, mm-hmm. like it's that thing of what we do as humans, where we fixate on this one thing, like. I, I, I even have a handkerchief that was given to me by my grandfather before that that has an embroidered H mm. on it. And it is a very special handkerchief that I, that I don't, that I wear on a very special occasions. And don't if I were to lose it. Put away to your girlfriend. Don't ever give it to your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Don't, let, me, don't lend it to anyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It ain't going anywhere. <laughs> but it's that thing of like, I do have a sentimentality to that yeah. handkerchief. And, and we all have that type of, peace we do we all put mm-hmm. those sentimental sentimental ties so yeah. i i think the fact that shakespeare locked into that and went we all fall trapped to this mm-hmm. stupid handkerchief where lives are destroyed relationships are ruined because of something so minuscule and stupid like a strawberry handkerchief well so yeah. that's why I, we, we we don't all uh get so wrapped up in it uh othello's big weakness is he lets mm-hmm. his emotions yeah. Run his actions. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what destroys him. It's not the handkerchief. It's yeah. the way he's reacting to the handkerchief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the, or the absence thereof. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and like you said earlier, all he's got to do is sort of take two steps back and go, hey, yeah. you know, it's not really such a biggie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, again, this is. Uh, Again, why I have problems with the with the with the archetype of Othello, because that's mm-hmm. the archetype that black men have to carry around with them. Right. That weak, emotionally unstable, mm-hmm. uh, uh, dangerous, violent, da 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 da. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and that's the stuff we're trying to dismantle now. Mm-hmm. Right. Or yeah. have been trying to dismantle for four hundred years. But mm-hmm. We'll see. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Final question of the night. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I want to kick this one off because I okay. think this is one that I, uh, as a lover of Shakespeare and education, I have a passion for this topic. Uh, but the question is, is this the right Shakespeare play for students to study in schools? 
If not, what other play of the Shakespeare canon would you replace it with? So it's a two-prong. So I think we should do this play, but in companion with another BIPOC artist play, like do a combination study, not just one, because I think if you do just one, then as David said, you're perpetuating a bad stereotype. But if you do this as a companion piece to another uh, thing with another BIPOC playwright, a modern play that, that depicts these type of themes and topics, then I think you could have a really interesting conversation. And I don't think we should ever just shove this play away because I do think there are interesting topics and conversations to be had. And one of the reasons why I keep hearing teachers saying they don't want to teach it is because they're afraid of talking about these topics, about racism, about the way Othello is depicted. And they go, I don't want to talk about it. So because I'm not going to talk about it. Then they shouldn't be teaching. They shouldn't be teaching, period. Because exactly what we need is people in there with enough balls to change the narrative. Yes, exactly. Got to stop protecting. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And that's what I exactly have in my notes. I went, teachers, if you can't <laughs> exactly like if you if you can't have a conversation, actually engage your students, then don't do it. Like, don't be a teacher because that's what Shakespeare gives us. Shakespeare gives us a platform yeah. and a kickoff point to so many conversations to be had. That's why, as David said in Mary Wives and in this one. That's why he's been around for 400 freaking years. That's why we haven't found anybody really to replace him uh, as, uh, as like a universal study because so much of his stuff generates so many conversations. But I think if you were, if you're going to have to cut Othello because you really just don't want to talk about it and you're still a teacher, um, what I'd actually replace it with is Richard III because throughout our, our high school career, we don't touch the history plays at all. We always either do comedy or tragedy. We never actually get into any of the histories. And I think what's neat about Richard is that it's a different way of looking at the concept of otherness, jealousy, and revenge. Because Richard, for the most part, like he is a smart, intellectual, well-brought-up person. And the only reason why he is othered is because of this hunchback that he is born with. And I think you can get into a really, once again, interesting conversation about um uh, about about disability about otherness about jealousy and and, and, and like revenge I, th- I think there's a lot of themes that a fellow and richard the third kind of share and you also get another genre yeah i think richard the third if you, if you got to replace a fellow then do richard jill so i'll piggyback off that matt because i kind of disagree with Ooh. you in a way um mm-hmm. i think Again, sorry, I just wanted to say this too. Like, if you have room between your legs for a tail between your legs, then you have no balls. So, mm. best best to get out of there. I always yeah. that's a little little saying. Be like, you got your tail between your legs. Where's your balls? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that this just by the discussion we've been having tonight, like, absolutely, this can this one hundred percent should still be taught in schools, mm-hmm. and more schools should do it because. Mm-hmm. I know like it wasn't part of the curriculum through grade nine and 12 of my high school. Wasn't Some high there? schools, I want to say, cause I went to a Catholic high school. I don't even think the Catholic board touched on this. I think our public board did in like a grade 12 option or something, but mm-hmm. just from what we've seen and discussed about this production, like there's so much more to unpack with this 
bad boy too. Like, mm. you know, there's the idea of violence. There's the ideal mm. of gender inequality. Mm. There's the idea of, of expanding this to be like a, a, a bigger, more relevant topic on, mm. on gender, on racial mm. politics. Um, mm-hmm. un, just unpacking a, a fellow in general. And like, I don't like, sure. You could pair it with quite honestly, the whole English and drama high school canon should be 90% BIPOC and 10% maybe 10% white, um, maybe <laughs> that's my whole, and I know like we're slowly getting to that, but unfortunately probably no time in our lifetime will we see that ratio fully flushed out. But, mm-hmm. um, I think even all the, all the more power to, to having this piece kind of stand in place of any other mm-hmm. extremely like whitewashed Shakespeare plays like, um, and and it like these the concepts that are at hand here too like are very like we've discussed real world mm-hmm. concepts and I I've said this in almost every panel we've done and I always said I sound like a broken record and I will always keep saying it um, like we have due diligence as theater makers of today to make sure that the pieces we're studying and even in an educational sense. Um, hold relevance and and we are taking old texts and refreshing them in a way for a purpose um it doesn't necessarily have to be a giant political purpose purpose but like you gotta have a reason why you're doing it otherwise like don't do it right and like mm-hmm. um and i don't think it's like don't do it because you feel uncomfortable doing it it's something like this it's like if you feel uncomfortable doing it there's like 50,000 people that would feel comfortable doing it so like mm-hmm. you need to ask yourself that question mm-hmm. um but I just think I just think a lot of a lot of kids, I hope, um, you know, like every generation now, a generation that has come, the generation to come will always have this discussion. Mm-hmm. Like I hope the generation up and coming is gonna be even more um instilled in this sort of color rich world we live in. And um I think would would love to like unpack the the psyches of these characters. And like I said, mm-hmm. the, the, the atrocities that these characters go through and, and the, the arc and fall of this black man in this piece. Mm-hmm. And it's so like, that's something that we should be. I would much rather my kids study that than like a Romeo and Juliet in high school, you know, like mm-hmm. there's so much more that speaks to today in a piece as unfortunate as that sounds, because there's a lot of dark, dark areas of this piece, but it that's the reality of it, right? And um, I'm kind of going on a little bit of a rant now, too, but just with this production at hand of having, like, digitalized mixed with liveness, like, that's, again, the world we live in, right? It's like our kids are being exposed to the digital side of life. Like, it's one thing to be in, like, the real world and actual time, but then also, like, kids at early earliest age of like third grade have access to a YouTube channel now well their world is just packed with more good and bad things you know way ahead of their time so mm-hmm. I just think like I said we we had the, the wonderful opportunity to see a production like this where there's so many levels to this piece mm-hmm. that I think from a sheer like literature perspective that this should be taught in schools mm-hmm. and then a hundred percent just like it, it's it's like an extra a plus thumbs up that it is the main character is someone of color and we're actually taking the time to unpack his story too 
Um, mm-hmm. And I go, and my final note, which I've already peppered into our conversation tonight, but like, it's the whole idea, like at the power and sway that an individual can have on like a community or a state. And like, we said that through the lens of Iago, but I think like that lens can be attributed to all these characters, like, and even like arguably all of Shakespeare's canon. Like we said, like, that's why we keep, mm-hmm. he is like integrated in our curriculum regardless, but like, you know, we've talked about like the strengths and weaknesses of a ton of characters in this piece alone. And I think that like thesis statement of like the power and sway that an individual has within themselves mm-hmm. and within the community at large and how like that can make or break make major decisions and choices. Like those are the lessons that have to be mm-hmm. learned at a younger age nowadays, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. So as like an advocate and a future mom and like, <laughs> Um, potentially future educator, like, yes, 100%, this almost like above, above other Shakespeare's that have been taught or are still being taught in schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. End mini lecture. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Tanisha. Um, I honestly agree with everything Jill said. <laughs> Go with, uh, yeah, I just like, as a person who didn't learn, the true definition of discrimination until I was in college, which is uh, in, like in Soch 101, which is some class that I had to pay for. Like, I was like, this should be taught in high school where it's mandatory, where you learn things. Like, mm-hmm. I, I totally like see like Dave's point of it being problematic of, of perpetuating that archetype. So I like your idea, Mac, of pairing it with something else. Mm-hmm. That is so useful when you're studying text. Like, mm-hmm. um, like they still do it now, like in, in high school and in university. And it just mm-hmm. makes so much sense to like, do like a comparison essay or something like that. And yeah, and like see like, and flesh out these ideas of, of discrimination, racism, and dismantle the archetype from the, like a young age. I am a big believer of like the youth are the future. So we have to mm-hmm. teach them right. And so, of course, we'd want to start dismantling that archetype with them. And I also feel like there is so much to be said about, like, women as well in this play. And, um, like, even though Desdemona is a character that, like, it's like, oh, like, the white woman, we don't want her to marry a black man. At the same time, she, like, her voice is, like, never, ever heard. Like, the the actress, she did so well, like, going toe-to-toe with Othello. But, like, the character, it's like never gets to actually be heard or believed and um Mm -hmm. is kind of like in my mind i was like the black dude he gets to be a general and he gets to like Mm -hmm. do all this stuff but like if you're a woman like don't matter like (laughs) what you have to say like your husband's still gonna like i don't know it was just a very weird thing for me like i i still feel like like there's a lot to be said about women um Mm -hmm. in shakespeare and yeah and like the one character who i was like disregarding the whole time and being like what is really strong female and I was like wow mm-hmm. so um I I think you could do a lot with this play still mm-hmm. to this day and I definitely think it should be um like in the repertoire I I don't even remember the like some of the plays that I read the only one that I I only remember reading Hamlet and Merchant of Venice so I'm like why didn't I read Othello in high school why wasn't that mm-hmm. in my curriculum it's so weird so mm-hmm. yeah I definitely Get it in there, please. Because I'm sure the teachers were uncomfortable. I know, but like, yeah, like, which is awful. Like, don't teach. 
what do you uncomfortable mean? and unqualified. Unfortunately, yes. unqualified. Most teachers, they can't touch this stuff. Uh, it, it opens up doors that they're not prepared to go into. The, the education system is, is not prepared to go into these doors. Uh, I, I, if you're going to do it in school, you have to have extraordinary teachers. Teachers yeah. with minds like yours, Jillian, like yours, mm -hmm. they, they got to be, it's not going to be your average teacher. Um, and I've spent a lot of time uh, with Shakespeare in high school, uh, in high schools, and it was a very powerful um, tool to, to get into uh, debating uh, uh, women's issues, violence against women, all of that stuff. Mm. Um, but I think with uh, teenagers, you got to grab them by the short and curlies. Yeah. Uh, Hamlet is too heady. Uh, uh, Merchant of Venice is too heady. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, Black Romeo, White Juliet, Black Montagues, White Capulets. Go. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to get them on all kinds of levels. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know that works. Uh, uh, and it works like the Walkman and it'll, it'll get people a lot more interested in Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. um, Hamlet, you got to be grown. You got to be grown to, to get that play. Yeah. Um, teenagers are, are it, again, it's not sexy, not crazy, sexy, cool. Romeo and Juliet, crazy, sexy, cool. It, again, if it's not right, mm -hmm. you know, yes. uh, it's full of dirty jokes. It, you know, full of sex. You and I've actually been to high school. I remember I was in high school once, and I had a copy of King Lear, and I was looking through it, and they cut all the naughty bits out. Anything oh, referring to sex or groin? Well, I was in North York somewhere, so, and uh, yeah, all the sex was cut out of it. So, you know, oh, you're not oh, even teaching this stuff. You, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what fantasy you're doing, but uh, you know it's got nothing to do sh with Shakespeare because in this world, people are interested in that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in our world, people are interested in that stuff. Mm -hmm. You're not prepared to teach or, or to talk about sex and race and politics in mm -hmm. high school. Go get another job. You know. Yeah. The 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 main point of the education system is not to educate us; it's yeah. to teach us how to read and write. Mm -hmm. And after that, it's up to us to educate ourselves. Yeah. And I fortunately glommed onto that early on in high school. Mm -hmm. This guy really isn't that interested in my future or my brain. Mm -hmm. What he's interested in is a cottage in the Muskokas and a nice boat. <laughs> maybe a, a, maybe a, a, a Toyota Prius for his wife. Mm -hmm. That is this guy's main concern. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I want to be educated... I better get my ass to the library and get read a book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I can choose what I'm interested in. And that's mm -hmm. how I'm going to get educated. I'm not going to get educated in school. They're going to teach me how to read and write and how to be a good citizen and work in a factory. Mm -hmm. So that was not on my uh, uh, five-year plan or 10 right. plan. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we got to take it into our own hands. Mm -hmm. uh, being the uh, absolute failure of the education system, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. David, your wisdom, I think that was the perfect button to the episode. Yes. Uh, I am, I, like, we've gone over two hours with this, with this conversation, yeah. which I'm like, 
excited about because that just shows how powerful this play is and why it should still be talked about and, and done because clearly there is still much to discuss oh, with yeah. this work. Uh, but I think we'll have to say adieu for now. Um, we have kind of come to the end of our uh, uh, Shakespeare reviews temporarily. We we do have another one uh, 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 locked and loaded, but we'll wait to announce what the next one will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for now, we will uh, have to give our final bow, as it were, on, on, on our stage, at least for now, because we will be back with another episode down the road for sure the series will continue the review series so stay tuned for more mm-hmm. uh david you're welcome to come back anytime and talk about any play you like <laughs> same with you tanisha jill i mean if you guys ever find a production that's streaming and you're like mac let's like i i i, 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 I let's put up the bat signal let's call the arms here and have a conversation okay let's do it i'm always down for that for sure. But uh, Tanisha, where can people find you if they want to get in contact with you? Um, so they can find me on Instagram or Facebook. My name mm-hmm. is uh, Tanisha Sinclair, and mm-hmm. you'll find me there on all platforms. That rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And David, uh, we know you're on Facebook, so, so, so are, are you still okay with people sending you friend requests from around the world? <laughs> it's it's been a uh, yes. I'm I'm getting very strange uh, friend requests from people that I've never seen, and it's, it's I don't know. I'm new to all of this stuff. You young people, you you got uh, you got this thing down. I got, no, I can barely deal with Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and tweet, and you know it's too much, too much for me. But I'm usually in my backyard if you're really looking for me. So ah. Uh. <laughs> Why with your you with your garden that exactly. you need to show off to people. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. One of these days we'll come down and see. Hurry up! Come on down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> August, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. true. Heart of Blue Bar, we're almost heading into the fall. Mm. Yes. <sighs> Crazy times. Jill, where can people find you? Yes. Well, I, I am on digital platforms, even though I do have my multicolored pen here, and I would much rather take down handwritten notes of the wise and brilliant David mm. Collins. I I have been taking a little notes because I'm a bit of a traditional studious nerd like that. Um, but you can find me on my artist Instagram. It's mm-hmm. Jillian.Robinson96. And you'll find some like singing covers there some promos for cup of hemlock i've mentioned this before but coming up quite soon um we're we are right in the nitty-gritty process of uh rehearsing the man of destiny which i have the Mm -hmm. wonderful job of virtually stage managing scheduling that sucker and the wonderful tanisha sinclair will be playing the lady in that Mm -hmm. so um look out for all of our cast videos coming out on that and mm-hmm. Tanisha and I are also in um two gentlemen of Verona an all-female cast non-binary cast of um non-female sorry and non-binary uh cast put on by Sweet Tea Shakespeare directed by Claire Martin who you have seen um throughout peppered in to our cup reviews and cup interview mm-hmm. section of the company as well mm-hmm. so that's been keeping us busy i love that we got to do on like our night off tanisha too we got to have a discussion together too which is so lovely um yeah so find me find me on that platform and i hope everyone is still staying safe and well at this time yeah. wonderful uh and you can find me on social media platforms at mackenzie horner just look for the ginger haired 
photo and you'll find me uh, once again listen to the podcast i do with autumn smith who is once again also being peppered in throughout our uh, programming where we talk all about musicals uh by the time this episode comes out in a few days we'll be releasing our episode all about the musical falsettos mm-hmm. which was a really kind of game-changing musical because it was really the first musical that talked about aids and the aids crisis so it mm-hmm. was it was uh, a musical very much ahead of its time in the early 90s so uh, we'll be talking all about that. Uh, we have an interview with Autumn actually coming out on Monday, uh, uh, this cut this past Monday. So be sure to watch that for sh- as well. Uh, Man of Destiny comes up September the 9th, mm-hmm. uh, featuring once again Tanisha as Lady, myself as Lieutenant. Yes. Every Friday we'll be releasing uh, new episodes uh, all about behind the scenes. We've recently released a, a video with our director, Will Bartley, talking all about why he chose the play and kind of delving into how we're kind of tackling it this time around. Uh, and then we also have our cup round, uh, round table series. that will be premiering at the end of the month. Uh, that features uh, a bunch of different people, uh, including Tanisha, funny enough, uh, talking about Shakespeare and gender. So we'll be talking all about that at the end of the month. And uh, we're down to the last 25 days for you to submit your one act play for our one act showcase going up in 2021. So uh, make sure you get those submissions in to marketing at a cup of hemlock at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, get that going there, everybody. Uh, but other than that, uh, we thank you so much for tuning into all this, David. Thank you again. Uh, feel free to come back anytime for any, for any play you want to talk about. We'll happily do that for sure. Cause we love your nuggets of wisdom. They are. My wonderful. pen's ready. wonderful but until then everybody we will say adieu thank you for watching all these episodes and we'll be back again with more cup reviews in the very very near future stay tuned but until then stay healthy stay safe everyone bye cheers